Hey, David. Uh, hello. How are you? Uh, a little frazzled, but I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. We got there. So we are talking about um, skills and resilience and flexibility. <laughs> so I, right. think, uh, I think you've exemplified those. Exactly. Good. Well, should we just crack on? If you're ready, we'll roll straight into it. Sure. Okay, then, Katie, we're live. Over to you. Hello and welcome back to DeliveryX Beyond the Buy Button podcast. I'm Katie Searles, editor of DeliveryX and your host. As always in the studio, I'm joined by Internet Retailing's Editor-in-Chief Ian Jindo. And through the power of technology, we're joined all the way from San Francisco by Narvar's David Morin. Before we launch into addressing the skills gap, David, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Ian. Uh, happy to join today. I'm excited to chat with you both. Uh, so my name is David. I'm the head of customer strategy at Narvar. For those who might be unfamiliar with Narvar, uh, Narvar is the global leader in post-purchase consumer experience. So we work with over 1,200 retailers and brands around the globe uh, to really optimize and improve the post-purchase experience, everything from setting expectations at the time of checkout, uh, keeping customers informed as the packages make its way to the consumer, and then uh, facilitating an easy-to-use and convenient returns process all in an effort to drive satisfaction and loyalty with consumers over time. My background's in retail and retail technology. I've been spending uh, well over a decade working with retailers and brands, really looking at ways that technology can enhance overall customer experience. Thank you, David. We're also going to have some experts' opinion from retailers and um, just to get their view on the situation. We'll be joined by Selfridges, Shamazir and Pandora's Ricky Wilson. It is the first time on Beyond the Buy Button that we've heard from Sham. So here is his bio from the man himself. My name is Sham Aziz. I'm head of customer service at Selfridges and have been in the game for the last 20 years. Our purpose within customer service at Selfridges is to drive retention and resolution whilst maintaining our reputation. Um, so if you like, in the terms of algorithms, it's retention times reputation times resolution equals fire emojis. <laughs> fire emojis. One way to sum it. up what you do. <laughs> We've also been joined previously by Ricky before on episodes regarding circular business economy and um, sustainability, but he's back and we're going to hear a bit more from him today. So for all newcomers, and just as a reminder, here is Ricky's intro. I'm Ricky Wilson. I'm the VP of Global E-Commerce and Digital Operations at Pandora Jewelers. So now that's the introductions over and done with, we can really get into looking at the big issue of staffing. Um, it's been affecting retailers for some time. We saw across news outlets over the last couple of years that lorry driver shortages have hit the industry hard, with a quarter of drivers still expected to leave the industry in the next three years. Now we're looking at a summer of strike action from the likes of Royal Mail to the staff at ports down at Felixstowe um, and that's likely to on-go until at least Christmas I think they were mm -hmm. warning so it could affect peak ordering periods mm -hmm. and then just this week John Lewis announced that they are going to hire 10,000 temporary staff this festive season and will give them free food I mean the two parts of that show us where we're at 
you know, coming out of COVID, the war in Ukraine, global supply chain, disruptions due to global warming. And we have two very serious problems. The first one is a labour skills shortage. Everybody wants people who are able to, they used to be called semi-skilled workers, but in fact, we're now realising they're very highly skilled. And so you want people who can do everything from customer service to process management to error-solving, user initiative. But the wages haven't gone up, the conditions aren't great, and with the cost of living, the fact that we're now having to say, and we'll feed you, is three or four steps well beyond uh, the zero-hours contracts state of employment. So I think this should give pause to everybody who's searching for staff at the state of the labour market now. The offering to feed you is a great short-term solution for something that we're in currently, but for retailers having to offer that long-term is unsustainable. And so there must be other incentives, and we're not talking about bean bags and um, pool tables in offices. There must be something else that retailers and anybody working in e-commerce can do to retain staff? Well, I think, I think there are three clear directions when you're impl- trying to employ large numbers of staff. The first one is, can they afford to live? And so in the old days, if you're paying someone around £10, £12 an hour, you'd expect them to afford their own lunch. But this is a state that the cost of lunch and food is so great and the wages are so low that if someone has to give up 15% of their daily income in order to work, then there are real problems. The second one then is around fun, which is where the bean bags, pool tables come in. But increase if you're not fed, you can't have fun. And the last bit then is around, do people believe they have a career? And so it's all well good having a job for now and next month, but is this an industry into which people are going to invest the next 10 years of their lives? Are we going to train people? So we talk a lot about multi-channel, but if you join as a an analogue or bricks-and-mortar professional, where is the training to help you with the digital dimensions? You know, and we see, we see this when, for example, our DPD driver turns up, bristling with technology. They know who we are, they're carrying a handheld device, they're GPS-enabled, AI-rooted. You know, so the, the need for skills is ever-present. So I think these are the three questions, which is, are the wages enough to deal with the you know their living expenses? Is the work enjoyable and does it have a skills future? These are the questions like they're wrapped up just in that terrible statistic about having to give free food to temp staff. Retailers are clearly thinking about what they can do to get staff applying, but for the people that we've spoke to for this, it's something that they've been thinking about well before COVID, mm. well before Brexit, and um, Pandora have actually been working on it since 2019, and Ricky can explain in the next clip what they've been doing. So really it was about better assessing what capacity we needed at peak and being able to build both our systems and our processes and our people to be able to cope with those. Underlying that, I guess, on the commercial side of things, we need to put in some basics like a better, more accurate weekly and daily forecast for the operations to build towards. That's a mixture of medium range forecasts, so for peak weeks and days, so 
you know, how many DCs do we need to open for peak? I mean, this isn't about how many desks you need. It's physically how many buildings you need to be operating out of. At peak last year in the US, we were operating out of four distribution centers. And equally, how many contact center agents we'd need to recruit for peak. So at peak, we needed to recruit about a 1,000 agents worldwide for, for, the, for the time that we needed to do them. But in addition to that, you've got some sort of shorter-term intraday forecast to make sure you've got enough people on shift at the right time in order you can meet the cutoffs and some of that, you know, some of that detail that goes around there. I mean, I think we've still got a huge way to go on forecasting. We've got more accurate, but clearly during COVID, that was definitely more of an art than a science. But as things return to whatever the new normal is, I hope we can become a bit more confident and precise. It's very interesting to hear them talking about the new normal. There's there's not been such a thing. It hasn't stopped. There's been one <laughs> bad news cycle after another. David, are the retailers that you're working with, are they even able to plan for peak when there's so many changeable factors? How are they using technology to help that? From the retailers we work with, technology is always a big part of planning for peak when that comes to carrier networks and being able to diversify delivery shipments, but from a labor side as well. You know, what we see is that technology can really help onboard uh, seasonal help faster. So if you have easier to use tools, more streamlined business processes that do require less training, the amount of time it takes for you to actually onboard seasonal help or seasonal labor can reduce as well. So uh, we already know that it might be difficult to find people. Uh, Of course, then finding seasonal help, one of the challenges you face with actually giving them onboarded and ready to work. Uh, and so if you can cut down that time, you can certainly plan ahead a little bit w- faster. You know, what we're also seeing coming out of COVID is on the inventory side, like how do you plan to actually have goods to be able to sell? Uh, I think on that end, we're seeing a lot more stability in the market. And so I think while the last couple of years have been challenging, I think there's been some improvements and benefits seen from using technology to innovate faster. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you say about the um, speedier onboarding of people by having better technology and process. And something we've heard a lot of from retailers, I'm thinking about Chris Conway at the co-op, for example, is helping people shift to do other roles within the working day. So you might be, for example, replenishing shelves in your co-op, and then you have some downtime, so then you switch to picking. So you know the workforce management enablement applications allow someone to be more flexible and capable without the the same amount of uh, spin-up time with training. I mean, this is something, Katie, that uh, Sham was also talking about on the upskilling front. Exactly. Sham explains exactly what they're doing at Selfridges to, to make sure their team can do a range of functions. So it's a continuous challenge to move the team and department from answering transactional queries to providing product advice. It's not about replacing the team. It's more about upskilling the existing team and where growth allows bringing in those team members that already have product knowledge and teaching them customer service. So not hiring for customer service. The analogy that stands out to me is when I popped into B&Q and I was in the plumbing aisle, um, the team member there was an ex-plumber. And so that service element and what I was looking for was able to give me the best service and I ended up with the right product. And so that's what I'm trying to do within our team. I'm trying to find those plumbers. But in this case, 
the sneaker experts or the accessories experts and bringing them in, using their knowledge and putting them in an environment where they can thrive. And that last comment on accessories knowledge brings us in nicely to more insight from Pandora. And the jewellers themselves, they are dealing with such intricate pieces. And Ricky can tell us a bit more about um, skilled craft people. Not easy to say. We're a, a vertically integrated business. So not only do we design our, our jewellery, we equally make it themselves in our own factories, very advanced factories with uh, incredibly skilled craftspeople, um, primarily out of Thailand, although we've just announced we're going to be opening up another one of those uh, in Vietnam as well. I believe there's in the region of 15,000 or so people working over in those factories for us. I mean, it's a phenomenal number in terms of the amount of items that they need to produce, and they really are state-of-the-art. From a fulfilment and a distribution perspective, we have uh, three main regional kind of distribution centers, uh, one in North America, one in uh, Hamburg, and then uh, one in Thailand itself. And they act as a distribution hub out into directly to our stores or into uh, some of our other e-commerce distribution centers that we've got. So our direct-to-consumer distribution, we typically work with third-party operators, although we do do some out of Hamburg ourselves. So if I think about my team directly, I have e-commerce teams in nine geographies around the world. So they're the, they're the folks who run the websites and trade the websites um, uh, in, for, uh, across their clusters that we call them. And then I have um, a number of functions which are located out of our Copenhagen offices, um, looking at things like commercial performance or digital operations more generally and, 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 and things like that, optimization techniques, etc. I think that because most of our teams in the clusters are relatively modest, I mean, in our biggest cluster, we have probably 13 or 14 heads, something like that. Um, it's not like we need a huge number, but clearly there is absolutely a, a, a war for talent and trying to find the right people to come in and, and go through means it does take longer to recruit for some of these people. And we have been investing in those teams and they are much bigger now than they were maybe a year ago. From a Copenhagen perspective, um, we've got a relatively big team and Copenhagen itself isn't the biggest pond to go fishing in. And so I think that's probably something that David and Jim have spoken about in the past in terms of digital talent and the number of people are locating over there at the moment. And so hence we've also extended and put in a, a, a smaller digital hub that we're setting up in London to support some of those things. But I mean, in generally, I'm not looking for hundreds of the same type of people. I'm looking for a few of some very precise skill sets, etc. So it takes time. It's getting harder. In, it's getting harder. It's, it's getting harder. <laughs> I like the way he just sort of finishes there, leaves it hanging. Um, and I should mention, uh, we'll put a link into the interview we did with David Wormsley, the Chief Digital Officer of uh, Pandora, whilst we know a couple of years ago, in fact, but uh, they'd be on that same trajectory. I was just going to say it was a nice tie-in from what David had said earlier, using technology to to help, but it is becoming challenging and there is less of a pull. So could, again, technology be used to streamline some processes to make it a bit easier for people looking 
in a small area such as Copenhagen. What I would like to do next is leverage technology sparingly. Um, so what you heard there in the background was the breaking of all the hearts of the sales and the business development people out there on LinkedIn who harass me daily. Uh, it is sparingly. I'd like to hit this 80-20 model. So 20% technology, which will automate some things, which will streamline some things. But that remaining 80%, I'd like those to be interesting, juicy queries that we could put through to a knowledge expert who can help that customer realize the value of what it is they're trying to find out about, whether that is a product, whether that is a service or an experience. I'd like people to have great conversations. And so it's figuring out the technology mix and then providing an environment for the team to be able to have great conversations. Mm. I mean, wise words. Uh, I think there are two things there. One is obviously about the conversations. We'll come back to that in a second. But David, you were talking earlier on about the role of technology. So just reflecting on... Um, you know, what Ricky and Sham have been saying. How do you see the direction of travel with technology? Is this something that is going to replace staff, make their life better, increase service for customers, all of the above and more? You know, is technology an answer or just part of life's complex problem? Yeah, well, uh, coming from a technology provider, uh, of course, I might have a, a different view. No, <laughs> I joke. Um, you know, I think I fully always believe in technology being a tool that can be used to improve day to day processes and experience. But you know, I started my retail career on the sales floor, uh, working with some prestigious retailers here in the U.S., and I don't think anything ever fully replicates human touch. So I think that the retailers who use technology the best are the ones that really use technology, as you said, to streamline business processes, maybe to, to intelligently route consumers to the right place where they can get the right personal touch or help they need. You know, I think a good example today is we're starting to see a big increase in the use of chatbots and other automated service technologies. But as consumers, I think we've all been through at least one, if not many paths where we're hitting zero or saying agent or representative a bunch of times, because sometimes you really just need that touch. So I agree. I think it's a balance. I think is how do you use technology to streamline processes, but how do you also recognize the moments that require a little bit more personal touch? And in that lens, how do you use technology to free up your team's time to actually focus on the more complex issues or more complex consumer challenges that actually require that manual conversation or you know, human interaction? Conversations are so important to retailers. Of course. If you're outsourcing it to a chatbot, you're not getting to the nitty gritty of what your shoppers want, really. But also, it's a, a feedback loop that says, as technology picks up some of the grunt, the repetition, the, uh, the boring aspects that are error prone and fixes it, the work that's left, what Sham was talking about at the 8020, that 20 demands better people who are motivated, capable, multi-skilled. And those are the ones who are in demand. So you have the shortages again. So I think, you know, we're at a position where, irrespective of whether you're talking about jewellery, luxury, uh, fashion, everybody on the selling side, at the same time as everybody on the service side, 
has come to the realisation that after years of investment in technology and systems, the important ingredient is people, just when uh, the whole country's decided they want to have the great silent resignation or you know however you want to do it. So the battle for talent, I think, is going to be the defining battle for success over the coming year. It maybe is finding a balance. It, um, Sham said 80-20, it might not be the same for... Your percentages may vary. <laughs> yes, percentages <laughs> may vary. And for someone like Pandora, they've invested in the technology, as you said, and it has led mm. to some mixed results, as Ricky can tell us. So first of all, the implementation of IBM order management across our estate, along with deploying Salesforce Service Cloud to be our customer contact system. In the physical world, we also set up multilingual contact centres with an expanded art fulfilment capacity, both existing locations, but also new distribution centres. We fixed the order tracking issue that we had, which was probably the single biggest bugbear for our customers, trying to find out where their, where their gear was, and implemented a number of you know, other improvements through. And from a customer service perspective, we moved importantly to a real-time operation. So a mix of chatbot and agent chat, but also phone support and eliminating the email, which is slow and expensive and frankly doesn't really lead to very good conversations or, or customer satisfaction scores. So David, it sounds like uh, you and Ricky are agreeing then on this uh, technology in its place, do the heavy lifting, and then humans are the cherry on the experience cake. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we we know a lot about order tracking and, and even order tracking with some of these brands. So, uh, you know, that's really where, where NARVA focuses is how do you allow consumers to self-service using technology, using intelligence, but then also providing a path to the brand uh, to really focus on those conversations and solutions that require a little bit more touch. You know, one story that I always love to share from from our NARVA, our NARVA days uh, was from an early on customer here in the U.S., Honey Baked Ham, who was really able to use technology to better streamline their customer care process. And what they found as a result, it was that those calls that actually ended up coming to their call center, their agent team was actually able to sell them more because they were able to focus them on assisting, not, um, not like kind of more tactical uh, case management. Uh, so I think it's just one example of, of how, you know, if you allow technology to do the intelligence, to do streamline those business processes, you can actually free up time to, for your other uh, more valuable employees or, or just other trained employees to do more. Great. It will be interesting to see what comes next technology-wise that's going to make that a bit easier for staff and if technology itself could entice people into the industry. We've been talking about upscaling here. Could actually the technology get people interested in e-commerce? But I think that's all for it today. Thank you to Ian and thank you to David for joining us. Also from our audio clips from Sham and Ricky is the end of the staffing episode. If you found it informative, maybe even entertaining, there are other episodes focusing on circular economy, the challenges of returns and looking at shipping economics. All episodes are available at deliveryx.net, on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. (laughs) 